Hello, you little kumquats. Welcome back to a three bean salad. Here we go again, 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 again. This is the podcast where we watch the Mamma Mia movies on repeat for 52 weeks straight on a little rotation. And we talk about it and how it's a big, a big sci-fi conundrum. And that's the general vibe, everybody. Uh, I'm Jack and this is, this is Butch. I'm Butch. That's that's who I am. Butch, how <laughs> how was Mamma Mia this week? Uh, it was very sleepy and very uh, it was very hectic. But uh, it was it was it was Monday night, right? My mother, Mrs. Right. H, a uh, friend of the show, lovely, uh, has been wanting to watch these films with us since uh, since the podcast started. Obviously, I've seen both films with her multiple times. But she wanted to, you know, rewatch them, you know, since we started the podcast and the past two rotations we haven't been able to due to recording times. Uh, this week we were able to. Uh, on Monday night, which was a busy television night for her because she had to watch her. Uh, hey, that's our. Yeah, you enjoy your fuck. Uh, <laughs> but uh. You know, it was it was about midnight, which, going by my philosophy, since I don't take into account the clock going backwards and forwards, was about eleven o'clock. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we watched it. She was very sleepy. Uh, I was quite sleepy and a bit pissed. Uh, and I took n- not a huge amount of notes. I took maybe three pages, some of which were pre-film notes. But you know, I think some of it's some of it's pretty interesting. Obviously, I loved the film. Yeah, fantastic film, just mm-hmm. as just as good as every other time I've ever seen it. Uh, how was how was your viewing experience? Well, first I'd like to point out that I too have wait. Ah, oh, never mind. I thought I had three pages of notes too. I have four, but they're little pages and the the lines are spaced rather, rather wide. Uh, <laughs> but for me, uh, yeah, it was definitely having a bit of a having a bit of a moment uh, freaking out about jobs and stuff as we do in this climate. I mean, last I spoke to uh, you, you said this podcast had gotten you a job, and then the next I heard you didn't have a job, so... <laughs> was it another? Was no, it yet I... another case of you got fired on the first day? It was the third day, I'll have you know, ah, but right. n- not, w- not with this one. Uh, I still have that job. I've yet to start that job, but there's just there's a lot of shit going on, mm. you know. People a lot know of shit. It. Going um, on. Well, it, it, to be honest, just... most people listening to this probably do know it because they're all our family and friends. So, <laughs> yeah, they they know the backstory, the <laughs> the the deep lore of the, the three bean salad. Um, I can't wait till we get like super famous and we have like Q and A panels at conventions and <laughs> hundreds of people show up. And they're like, "What was happening on like week seven of Free Bean Salad season two? And we get to make up some outlandish bullshit every single time, like Robert Pattinson <laughs> going on about his first time at the circus." Yeah. Oh, baby, I love that story. But anyway, we are story. getting. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting way sidetracked here. Uh I was having a moment and I just kinda took a break between 
different stresses and I just watched it plain vanilla, sat on the couch, mm. headphones on, tried to uh, bring myself down to earth. And to be honest, it really helped. I won't lie. And I can really, uh, I suppose, a testament to that fact is that it has now entered my top four movies Ooh, on Letterboxd. Yeah. Hell. I was just, I think... I know I say this every time we watch this movie, but it got to the Dancing Queen uh, scene, and it's just like, I fucking love this movie so much. It always makes me smile. It always makes me feel safe. I just, it makes me feel lovely and warm and cozy inside. And so I was like, fuck it, it's going in the top four. Like, it means so much to me. Uh, and yeah, I mean, in terms of notes, I don't have too many crazy theories. I might have one uh, particularly wild. Well, it's not that wild, but it's just a different way of thinking of the two movies and a way of, uh, I suppose, possibly explaining the inconsistencies between the two, if you will. Mm. So another way of explaining the inconsistencies between the two. Another way. <laughs> we already have several. I mean, I, I, you know, I leaned a bit into the 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 Christ allegory. Uh, this viewing, I will admit. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, which I'm not sure. I I have a lot of jumping off points, but I'm not sure how many of them hold any water. I'm I'm re- I I basically I had trouble deciding who was the Christ in this story. Uh... <laughs> you know what? Now that you've mentioned that. Uh, and I've just thought about one of the theories that I kind of I didn't mean to go into the movie with this week, but uh, one of the opening scenes prompted me to to keep an eye out for stuff. Uh, mm. Is technically it would it would make Mamma Mia an allegory for a Christ allegory. <laughs> <laughs> for fuck's sake, that's that's going too deep. I'm not sure I'm ready for that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'll just jump into my first note. My first note is sticks yeah. equals Atlas. <laughs> I figured Atlas holding up the sky, kind of like how Styx is holding up her sticks. <laughs> so, oh, and by that extension, maybe, I suppose this, the sticks, the pile of sticks, not the character sticks, hmm. uh, the pile of sticks could be like a representation of the world around her. And when she when she tosses it from her uh, from her shoulders, the the world falls into chaos, and and thus we get the inconsistencies. Possibly, or possibly, Donna is meant to represent Heracles, uh, because oh. in the labors of Heracles, uh, there was famously I forget which of the labors, uh, but he needed the help of the Titan Atlas to get him something, and the Titan Atlas is like ah busy holding up the sky here and Heracles is like I'll tag out and then uh, you know Heracles is holding up the sky and then Atlas doesn't have to hold up the sky anymore once he gets the thing for Heracles he's like you know maybe I could just take these things to the person for you and Heracles is like ah that sounds uh, great but do you mind if I like adjust my cape first uh, so like can you tag back in because this is getting kind of itchy and then 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 I'll, I'll tag totally tag you back out and uh, you can go and Atlas is like I don't see what could go wrong here and uh, 
and then Heracles fucks off. Uh, like Greek mythology is so fucking funny. Like it's all the time. Equal parts funny and then very rapey. It just all the time. It is extremely depraved. I always I always forget that. I, you know, I do get sucked into the ha ha ha. Atlas is so silly. And then there's everything else. <laughs> I do uh, get sucked into the ha ha Prometheus go ow. <laughs> Bird go shoe now. <laughs> Uh, and then you bird forget really that, do go shoe. And you forget that every other story is Zeus got really horny and turned this mortal into an animal against their will so he could fuck them. Uh, Zeus, uh, you horrible bastard. Like, the only relationship that's even vaguely functional in Greek mythology is between Pluto and Persephone. Or Pluto, Hades and Persephone. The Greek, not Roman. Uh, that's like the only vaguely... Like, alright, well, and even then, that was essentially an arranged marriage by Zeus without telling Persephone. Fuck's sake. Anyway, uh, Fuck that. what was I? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Next Greek mythology note, uh, is, uh, I have, there is, uh, there is a Greek precedent I, I, I realized for, uh, Harry being tied up. It all, it Ooh. all, it all makes sense. You see, in the Odyssey, uh, one of the, the most famous epic Greek poems, uh, basically the whole poem is uh, Trojan War's over, dude Odysseus he's trying to get home to his wife in Ithaca uh, but the gods get fucking mad at him for a whole number of reasons and also his crew is incompetent as fuck uh, so they end up going past like a bunch of mythical monsters and hazards and one of them is the island of the Sirens Who's singing is apparently so beautiful that any man that mm -hmm. hears it will jump overboard and swim to his death. And so yeah. they have some magic wax that they make earplugs out of, put in their ears so that they can sail on past safely. But Odysseus, he is, you know, he's really desperate to hear this music. And so he gets his crew to tie him to the mast uh, so that oh. he can't jump off. Uh, and I just thought, damn, that's. That literally what happens to Harry, and there's even uh, a reference to sirens in the goat house. Yeah, when sure is. Sophie's talking to the dads. The goat house. Damn. I think you mean the manger. <laughs> no. <laughs> Just saying, there are free wise men there. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> And there's no room at the inn, so they have to stay in the old goat house. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, next, oh, next you'll be telling me Sophie doesn't really have a dad and her conception was immaculate. Uh, no, what I was going to say is that her son, Donnie, doesn't really have a dad and his conception was immaculate. Uh... Mm. We never we see Donna having having sex with the free men, or, or at least heavily implied, but we never even get an implication of Sophie and Sky having sex. Yeah, and Sky is uh, further afield as well. I don't. Do we get any indication as to how long he's been away? Uh, I didn't. She say like three months in the or six weeks, something like that. They she does mm. say how long he's meant to be staying there. So. We'll check up on it next week. We we certainly will, but I'm just saying, I think that Donnie fits the Christ allegory pretty well, and, you know, Donna is 
a ghost there, so she's very much the holy ghost in that situation. Oh, uh, God. <laughs> so it's the father is the son and the holy ghost. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> no. I, yeah, anyway, uh, do you want to get on to some of your notes? I feel like it, th- those are all my pre-film notes. <laughs> <laughs> those are pre-film! <laughs> okay, maybe... Let's see, where do I even start? I'm just going to have a quick... <laughs> First off, um, I literally took a note on Judy Walters's What's Up? Yeah. Again, because it's so funny. Yeah, you can't um, unhear it now. God, what? Like, I don't know where to start because a lot of my, my notes are interrelated to, like, one particular particular theory, which is... Okay, you know what? Yeah, since we've we've spoken about the Christ allegory, I'm going to say it. This, this film is... Uh, d- they just remade The Matrix. I was wondering what your review meant, but... Mmm. Okay. I, I'm, I'm intrigued. Please continue. So... What first Spoilers co- for what the movie first... Fight Club, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Donnie Darko, Apocalypse Now, uh, Indiana Jones, Star Wars, everything. This is a remake of every single movie. <laughs> what sent me down this very incomplete rabbit hole, very much still being... Uh, investigated rabbit hole is that in the sort of the sequence at the beginning where we see the three dads trying to make their way to Calicari, uh and Harry and Sam both arrive at the pier as the boat the ferry as the ferry is uh, sailing away they arrive in two separate taxis Sam's taxi is blue. Harry's taxi is red. And I swear to God, I was like, okay, I'm going to take this note as a as a silly joke because it's definitely a once-off. But time and time again throughout the film, there are juxtapositions between really vibrant blues and stark reds, like, side by side. So... I'll try to find a few more. And I, I, when I say that this is an, like a pretty much unexplored rabbit hole, I just looked out for like appearances of like juxtapositions between the two. Uh, let's see. Do, 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 do. Okay, well, the door on the top of the goat house is bright blue. That's for a start. Uh as well, we see a shot of Sam in the goat house, and behind him there are two hula hoops, one red, one blue. Fucks. Uh, in Chikatita, Donna has a, a bright red flower stuck in her hair. I also she took a note wearing... during Chikatita that her, I, I, my note is, and I quote, Donna's nose is so red. <laughs> <laughs> you see? It's everywhere. I'll give you that. Uh, her dungarees are blue. Might add that. God's sake. Uh, let's see. <laughs> uh, the boats in Dancing Queen. Actually, there's a few bits in Dancing Queen. Uh, that's kind of a big part of it. 
Donna's entire bedroom is painted blue with red accents. Like the skirting boards are red and there's certain like uh, just red lines throughout the room. Uh, there's a bit where Judy Walters and Christine Bransky uh, basically yank all the clothes out of Donna's like trunk at the end of her bed. And everything is blue except for one or two items of clothing, which are red. Uh, the boats at the end of Dancing Queen as well, red. Um, oh, and this is this is a good one. This is a really good one. And this is kind of the only substantial bit of evidence I have to the whole... Okay, for anyone who's out of the loop, in the Matrix there's this whole thing of like... There's a red pill and there's a blue pill. If you take the blue pill, you stay in ignorance. You take the red pill, you follow fucking Morpheus down the rabbit hole and discover the truth about the world. And it's become like in, so. yeah, yeah, it's become a fucking term co-opted by the alt-right, unfortunately. Like every term, um, it has been co-opted by the alt-right. Yeah. Um, but in the the hen party scene the scene where harry has his big revelation about sophie and also about his sexuality there is a i swear to god he sits at the bar with sophie and he pours himself a glass of water and i also have a different thing about the water but i'll come back to that he pours himself a glass of water from a blue jug and he drinks that, and he's still oblivious to the fact that he is, you know, homosexual to some degree, and Sophie's dad as well. The next shot that we see him, he's walking towards the huge group of women as a voulez-vous starts, and the fucking stag party shows up, and all the lads come in, and Harry subsequently, you know, falls for one of these guys. Uh, but as voulez-vous starts, he's drinking a red cocktail. <laughs> Which God's just seems sake. too perfect. As well, there's like strings of lights all around the hen party and they're all blue and red. Uh, I do have a note on just Harry's like confidence that comes with his queer awakening. is so lovely. The inside of Bill's boat where Harry and Bill have that conversation about, you know, they they think they're talking about different things, but they're basically talking about discovering big truths. The inside of Bill's boat is red. Uh, and the last note that I have on that is uh, Christine Baranski uh, wears a red swimsuit, <laughs> which doesn't <laughs> equate to anything, but I feel like there's something to it. She's definitely not ignorant, let's put it that way. That's very fair. Uh, right, uh, well... Uh, so, so... So basically, your your evidence for this theory is that two of the most common colours that exist show up a lot. <laughs> it just seemed too prominent. Do you not think? Anyway, uh... Oh, but I did say I had something else on the water. Tanya and Rosie arrive. Actually, no. First of all, you know the beer that Rosie drinks on the boat when they're on sure the way do. to Calicari? I paused it to check what the beer is. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Mythos. Uh, I'm fam- as in, like, the term for, 
for like myths and stuff. There is there is that, but it's also a popular Greek brand of beer. And Gavin Lawless, I hope you're listening. Mwah, second year of college, that was our drink of choice, baby. Uh, <laughs> but on the topic of drinks, when Tanya and Rosie arrive at the villa, uh, Sophie mentions the whole Aphrodite's fountain about I'll you know how I'll have a glass of that. They're drinking. They're drinking water from the villa. They're drinking from Aphrodite's fountain as they say that. Hmm. Intriguing. It's all set up from the beginning. And that's why Harry finds his fucking true love. But Tanya doesn't that blue. until the next film. Uh, shh. <laughs> anyway, uh, moving on to some more of my notes. Uh, my first film note is just... The look of disgust on Ali and Lisa's face when they say thing. <laughs> I never never quite took in just how like actually repulsed they look as they say that. I think it's fair enough. Yeah. My next note is just the quote Stop growing Which <laughs> I thought I'd know. Bit of time travel symbolism there maybe. Or or and this comes back to the red thing. Sophie Sophie is an allegory for hmm you see where I'm going she's a, she's an allegory for the allegory for uh, Christ no Clifford the big red dog my next note is where's the Greek customs man I'm I miss him I he's miss him from there. last week he's not there he's I love him he's I kind of want to see him get in a relationship with Sticks because they're my my two favourite characters make it happen write fanfiction my next note is just we're the same age well parts of us are which again made me think of time travel Uh, oh good call I'm just saying, it's possible that maybe I don't know Tanya's arm is an arm from another dimension. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> like in it's like the the hand in Primer. Ooh, maybe, maybe. There's there's a lot to be said there. Now on the boat, Mrs. H threw in uh, a note that plays into my Christ theory: loaves and fishes. Eh, eh. Ah, Mrs. H, calling the shots. My next note. This is a this is a, 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 a one that I think warrants some discussion. It's when Sophie first meets the dads. It's a bit of dialogue I never really paid much mind to, which is Bill says to Sophie when she says that she's Donna's daughter. He says, "Ah, I thought you looked familiar, Sophia." And uh, firstly, how does he know that uh, her in any capacity to know that she looks familiar? Secondly, how does he know her name? <laughs> How does he know her name? Uh, the name I was think... possibly on the invitations. That's that's entirely yeah. possible. But but the familiarity. I mean, maybe he's implying that she looks like her her mum, but but I wouldn't say, to say. I wouldn't use the word familiar in that context. I'd you know I'd say something like, "You look just like your mother." A very mm. normal thing to say. <sighs> I think there's a lot to Bill's backstory that we you need know to, what? That we I need actually, to uncover. And 
as a matter of fact, I will fully support you on that because I do have a note to bring up later on. Uh, basically, I think Bill is pretty key to the whole in to the inconsistencies between the two films. And I gen like I swear to God, I think he ha- plays a way bigger role than we give him credit for. Mm, yeah, which brings me to my note about the goat story. Uh, oh baby, bring it on! As, because it seems that this, I swear this isn't intentional, but I swear that every single week we have a different explanation for what the goat story is. Uh, <laughs> Like, if I was doing this intentionally, they wouldn't be anywhere near as good. But I pointed out last week, I think, how many times in the second film they bring up that something is going to be the greatest of all time. (laughs) (laughs) Including Bill's award, where he is getting the award for being the greatest Swede of all time. And as we know, (laughs) the, the acronym for greatest of all time is GOAT. Yeah. So I'm I'm positing that the goat story is not about a literal goat. It is about a greatest of all time that <laughs> Bill has attended previously. <laughs> Do you know what? Oh, I feel like I should I should bring up my goat story note now. But I think that's really good. I think that's really. <laughs> I think that's possible. really the greatest of all time. <laughs> well no no I want to hear I want to hear your theorem so I do funnily enough I have a few notes just on the goat house this week so I, I, I will rapid fire through them because they won't take long uh, Donna doinks a goat during Mamma Mia she does uh, what else do I have the way that the dads turn into fucking Neanderthals when they hear Donna singing in the like the ground floor of the goat house. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? They just kind of like stand to attention, just like Donna, <laughs> and just slowly inch towards their the... knuckles dragging across the floor. <laughs> but the goat house. So let me ask you this. What is our, like, in this movie alone, what is our source for anything that's happened prior to when the movie starts? We have one, like, primary source. Uh, Donna's diary, I guess? Correct. Correct, correct, correct. The artifact, yes. The artifact, of course. But there is a second diary uh, shown in this film, that features in this film, Belonging to none other than Bill Anderson. And it appears only in the goat house when he's lying down on the mattress and he's writing he's writing in his journal because obviously he's a travel writer, he has hey, to he's take writing notes. a travel piece. He's exactly Bloke in a boat in Botswana. So what I'm positing is perhaps one of the films or hmm, I don't know where I'm going with this now. Actually, I think maybe the second film is Bill's account of those events, filled in just from what he knows of what Donna was up to each time he came to the island and he caught up with her. He jotted it down, and what we see is her, his interpretation of the events, and that's why there's inconsistencies. Oh, that's actually really clever. Oh, I love and that. St- mm, and thus. 
the second film itself becomes the goat story because <laughs> <laughs> because it's what he's writing down in the goat house. Yeah. That's why he's he doesn't want him to tell it. He doesn't want he doesn't want him to tell it because like I haven't published that book yet. Don't tell the goat story. <laughs> or maybe he's implying that Donna is the greatest of all time, uh, and the whole story is about her. So it's the goat Possibly. story. <laughs> or maybe he's being very insulting towards his wife, <laughs> who is lovely, <laughs> or his mother Alma. Or his brother. I don't know. Maybe his brother's the greatest of all time. Perhaps. Anyways, yeah, do you want to continue it, it, if, it is, if it is, If it is Bill's story in the second film, then any of the footage where it's his brother, any of the any of the sections where it's his twin brother, I suppose wouldn't make it into that. So, dear God, who knows what was happening to, to Dano while Bill was off screen. <laughs> anyway, uh, my next note is uh, this takes place... Uh, Goat house scene as well. It is when the men first notice Donna. She is humming a little tune, and I, mm-hmm. I only took note this week that she is singing Fernando. You little bitch! I brought this up two weeks ago. Did you? I didn't. I <laughs> yeah. completely forgotten. Look, I was drunk. Art. You you think that just because I record and edit these, you think that that means I pay attention to what you say? <laughs> Look, I think it's I think it's worth bringing up again because it's a it's an excellent little like Easter egg, I guess. The only thing I can the only explanation I could come up with is that after having her heart broken by Fernando, uh, Ruby wrote a song about him uh, that Donna just happens to know. That's, I think that makes sense. That's plausible. Like, you know, I feel like it's kind of alluded to that. Uh, Okay, I say alluded to. It's heavily fucking implied that Ruby is some sort of famous, like, artist. Yeah, she's a singer. Sweet as sugar cane. Mm-hmm. Uh, who hasn't been seen outside of Las Vegas for decades, so. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, she's got a fucking, like, private helicopter, so, yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and say she's loaded. Uh, she's loaded. And yet, she's definitely And yet loaded. didn't think to help out her daughter or granddaughter. At, at all before the second film. Mm. All I'm saying is that Ruby's a shady lady. Uh, she's just not that type of mom. I'm gonna be honest, I think that before she met Fernando, she might have been a mob wife. That's all I'm gonna say. Uh, Ooh. You can't, pro- you can't prove that I'm wrong. You ever seen the film Casino? I'm thinking that she was like Sharon Stone in Casino, is all I'm saying. Uh, I haven't seen Casino. <laughs> it's, it's basically boneless Goodfellas, but, you know, Goodfellas has bones to spare, so... Uh, Fair enough. Anyway, my next note is, uh, when Sticks showed up, Mrs. H piped in with, oh, what's that? A crown of thorns? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs> and I brought up that it could be a crown of thorns, it could also be Christ carrying his cross. Uh, oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> So that led me to think that maybe Styx is the Christ in this story. Uh, maybe. Constantly oh. carrying the sticks for our sins. <laughs> Nailed to the sticks. 
Seventh station. <laughs> I only have one more full-on note, which is just, uh, does your mother know that you're out? Uh, I, t- I interpreted those lyrics a bit differently. I was like, huh, is Pepper a closeted homosexual? <laughs> oh, and he's being, like, really performatively straight. Yeah, does your mother know that you're out? Maybe he's, he's you know, he's, he's not out yet, and Tanya's, you know, just trying to, you know, help him see himself. Uh, and also, yeah. you know, it could also be, in, in you know, uh, as, you know, to, towards Harry as well, obviously. Uh, Very true. I think th- there is some merit to that, and the beauty of it is that there's so much stuff that's just implied in this movie. Hmm. Like Pepper kind of says, "Hey Tanya, let's talk about last night." Yeah, let's pick we up don't, where we and, you left know, off. Let's pick up where we left off, and maybe she was just giving him some advice, and he was very emotional about being in the closet and being like a a a friend group that's very much like lads, 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 and might not be as supportive. Let's put on masks and crawl up the fucking walls. <laughs> <laughs> Pepper's there, like. Guys, there's something I need to tell you. Shut up, Pepper. Get on. Get your mask on. <laughs> we need to go hunting for the treasure of Helen of Troy. <laughs> oh God. Oh God. <sighs> but yeah, as I say, God. that's uh, that's all my notes. <laughs> God damn. I don't have any more, like, full-on notes, but I do have just, like, little ones. Oh, here's something I didn't mention, actually. Um, in uh, Money, 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 we see, uh, you know, there's the, that line, which is uh, a win a game in Las Vegas or Monaco. Hmm. You know the one? I said that really weird. I'm sorry, everyone. Uh <laughs> I kind of got caught between saying it as a sentence and then emphasizing it the way that the lyrics are emphasized. We know what but... the lyrics are. Get on with it. <laughs> and it kind of cuts between shots of Donna in, you know, playing a game of poker or or 21 or whatever. Uh, I think it's poker, actually. I think there's a roulette and... wheel as well. Yeah. And at one point, it's like the first shot we see of her, she's like wearing like a you can see the the neckline of what looks like a sleek black dress but then the shot where she like flips the cards around to show that like she's got a fucking winning hand she's in her dungarees again and so i have a note that's just donna wears dungarees to the casino (laughs) i mean wouldn't you i i would i don't like if i had a pair of dungarees i would wear them to the casino i dungarees are fucking sick yeah that's I all will i'm not, thinking look i will not have any dungaree hatred on this show i tend to agree a three bean salad fully the world's uh, first endorses. antifa lgbtq plus <laughs> pro dungaree and mama mia podcast <laughs> actually no <laughs> that's honest, probably not true <laughs> To be honest, I feel like if we're LGBTQ plus friendly, uh, we're also dungaree friendly. There's a, there's a, you know, the intersection of that Venn diagram is large, I'm going to say. Yeah. There was a weird line that I hadn't really taken note of before this week as well. 
which comes from Donna just after Chikatita. Uh, you know, they uh, Tanya and Rosie are like, ooh, they're in the goat house. And first of all about that scene, when we see Sophie and her, and what are her friends called again? Amy and Lily? Is that what they're called? Ali and Lisa. Ali and Lisa. <laughs> How many times have you seen this film? Uh, a lot. <laughs> it's they they don't make a big enough deal about uh alien and they, they, elizabeth they, or whatever she's called <laughs> i think they are named like once in the entire film yeah um but when they pop up out of the hay there's a goat with them as well which i always forget to take when note you say of goat do I... you mean there's a goat or are you talking about amanda seaford <laughs> It's both. It's both. Both. So goats. there are goat. There are goats with them. Uh, there are goats with them, and then uh, Donna, Tanya, and Rosie. They go up into the attic at the goat house, and there's some mention of a boat, of Bill's boat. And boat. Donna said a boat. D- Donna says something which I just. I just think it's a line that's not going to age very well, which is, um, I hope they run aground and block the Suez Canal. (laughs) (laughs) That is exactly, I I mean, that was a surprisingly (laughs) prescient line that they threw in there. (laughs) Oh yeah, when she said that and then went on about how she hopes they catch a coronavirus, like... (laughs) Like, Donna, Jesus Christ. I yeah, mean, like, I know that time travel's playing into things, but you probably shouldn't be just out here predicting the future like that. It's, it's just too much. Jesus Christ. I think it's very full on. And, God, what else does she say? She said she mentioned something about, like, uh, oh, just like the way alt-right, uh, the alt-right is on the rise in Ireland. It's like, Whoa. <laughs> Slow down, but like slow down, Donna. You're gonna give yourself a fucking heart attack. (laughs) Christ. And there's that other bit, and it's just at the very end, uh, when the fountain explodes and like, uh, you know, it goes slow motion, and Donna says that silly line in slow motion, which is, "I can't wait for the second movie." Yep, she does say that. And then famously, she's alive for the entire second movie. (laughs) I don't think we ever do do establish what she dies of between the films. Oh, I actually looked this up. Um, And it fucking sucks. Um, Al Parker, the dude that directed the second film, Mm-hmm. Basically said that he wanted to take, and it's so weird. I, I can't. I'm definitely gonna butcher this, but he mentioned something about like wanting to take inspiration from The Godfather Two, in that like. <laughs> <laughs> that is the stupidest thing I have ever heard, and I love it so much. I know. I know. <laughs> 
<laughs> like, I think what he meant by that was the whole, like, the story kind of focuses on Sophie, you know, the the offspring of the Don, the Donna, if you will. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, the, uh, the famous other sequel that's arguably better than the first film. Uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, Mamma Mia, yeah. Here We Go Again is the only uh, sequel that's in the IMDb top ten. Uh, <laughs> um, but he said that they actually uh, they, they never filmed the scenes but they did rehearsals of scenes where Sophie and Sam uh, talk about uh, Donna like having cancer Jesus Christ yeah I know it's really like I was like that would be like so tonally like tonally deaf for one thing but also just would not be congruent with the rest of the film at all. Yeah. Like, apparently they had, like, this whole emotional scene where, like, Sophie is sobbing into Sam's arms and, like, they're both, like, very, like, crying and, like, grieving quite, quite a lot. I mean, you know, there is, like... I think they handled it far better in the end, but like that was on the cards. They were gonna, like they were gonna deal with it like that, which just seems like I don't know. It doesn't seem like the right way to deal with it. I'm glad they didn't go with it. And then at the end of it, she reveals that she's still alive. Yeah, just walks yeah. into the church. Just walks and, into the uh, church. Sky can't. And... Sky can't see her because he's a robot. <laughs> That's the only reason. <laughs> yeah. He's a robot, he can't conceive children, which is why Donnie is actually a very young Styx. Uh, Played by Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> no, no, it's it's more like the butterfly effect, if you've ever seen that. Uh, uh, I don't think I have, but... Alright, well, Ashton Kutcher and the butterfly effect. Uh, I'm going to say spoilers for the butterfly effect here, uh, which is... A, a not very good film with some interesting scenes, in my opinion. Uh, but <laughs> basically, the way that time travel works in that is Ashton Kutcher's character, ever since he's very little, he starts, you know, having like blackouts. And his father apparently had these same blackouts and, uh, you know, was insane. And his mother's had like a bunch of miscarriages. And what it turns out is, by reading his old diary entries, he can go back in time to those specific points, but he doesn't figure this out until he's an adult. And it turns out those points that he's going back to were the blackouts that he was having. Uh, right. This was this was also what, uh, what was happening with his father. And he finds out that he can uh, go back in time also by looking at old photographs. And eventually he basically fucks up the world so much with his time travel thing. It's, as I've said before, uh, you know, the own in a time travel, a universal time travel exists. The only outcome that makes sense is a, a timeline where time travel doesn't exist. And so he mm. finds a picture of uh, an old ultrasound that his mother had, and goes back in time to when he was in her womb, and deliberately causes her to miscarry. Fuck. Which I think in some versions of the film it's different, but that's I think the director's cut ending. And it's a fucking dark and pretty powerful ending to an otherwise not particularly great film. Uh, <laughs> but 
I'm 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 not saying that something like this happened with with sticks and here we go again and she became Donnie somehow. Uh, <laughs> I'm not, but I'm also saying that it's just it's possibly on the cards. It's on the cards, but the only the only thing that doesn't add up with that is that Sky's surname is Darko. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> It just, it just but, seems weird that you left that out. <laughs> of course. But of course, Sophie, being the feminist that she is, she's keeping her mother's name. She's Sophie Sheridan for and for. Of course, of course. <laughs> she's voting for Dukakis. <laughs> God, I need to rewatch that movie. Uh... <laughs> I I am I'm fresh out of notes. Uh, I'd also just like to add one last thing to anyone listening. Just a fun fact about this episode. Before recording, I dropped my microphone in my bathroom sink. Uh, which is why you can't hear him anymore. <laughs> you've just been yeah. I've just been guessing what you've been saying this entire time. Uh, so should we move on to the mailbag that we don't have this week? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think we should. So should we move on to the Patreons that we have this week? <laughs> yes, I think we should. Our first patron is Adam Redman. Our second patron is Mrs. H. Our third patron is Jack Kavanagh. And our fourth patron is Andy Kinsella. If you want to support us on Patreon, yes, get well soon, Andy. If you want to support us on Patreon, go to patreon.com forward slash free bean salad pod. That is the word free. I'm pretty sure I've forgotten it now. Uh, but <laughs> I guess if that doesn't work, try the number. Donate five US dollars or more per month if you want to get a shout out in this section. There are plenty of other rewards for higher dollar amounts. Or if you want to donate less, you can just donate less and you, you, you won't get your name shout out here, but we'll still be very thankful for you. Uh, you can go give, give us money just as a one-time payment somewhere else, probably, if you want. Uh, get, get in contact with us if you just want a one-time payment. We'll give you a special one-time shout out. It'll be, it'll be swell. Uh, it's, I implore yeah. you all to donate money for I have gargled water all over my pantaloons and this require is, a replacement. This is Jack's uh, primary form of income, so... It, it, it genuinely is at the moment. Yeah, at the moment this is the only way he makes money. He makes about maybe 10 euros a month. Uh, please, he's trying to live. He It's he, pretty rockin'. He has been eating the same food on repeat, just barfing it up and eating it again for the past month. Uh, I mean, funnily enough, the more, the the more you eat it, the the better it gets. So, uh, anyway, that's uh, that's all for us this week. Uh, yep, <laughs> Jack has just sent me a photograph, and I can confirm but he has spilt water all over his pantaloons uh those are that's going to be expensive those are dry clean only probably uh yeah so yeah give him money to replace his pantaloons uh we're going to start a go fund me 
So until then, audience, sunny side up, lots of ham. <laughs>